Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. It's great to be with you. I hope you're all doing fantastic. Uh, we have lots to get into, so let's go ahead and jump into our first story. Tim Ryan uh, was on a show, and I just really think one of the things he said was not appropriate at all, and to me, crosses the line of, yes, it's super important that we all call out the threat that MAGA Republicans pose to our democracy and say that we want to defeat that movement, uh, you know, get people away from that ideology, win politically over them, all of those things. But where we cannot step over whenever using language like that is close to calls to violence, right? Because we talk about all the time how the right is constantly dog whistling um, and constantly trying to subtly but not so subtly encourage their followers to violence against people who disagree with them. And so if we're over here making very true statements about the threat that is posed to our democratic processes and then enabling language that is very close to what the right does to us, then I think we lose a lot of our uh, moral kind of weight that we have. And the fact that because we're speaking the truth, we are, uh, you know, doing the right thing and calling these dangerous tendencies out. But the second that you also use dangerous, violent language um, or anything close to that, I think you lose a lot of the weight behind what you're saying. So I'll show you this moment and I'll show you uh, a Fox News host stoking fear in his audience and kind of talk about why is it so important, even though they're going to say all these things no matter what, that we don't use language like Tim Ryan used here. And Tim Ryan is someone I'm definitely supportive of in his Ohio Senate race um, and all of these things. But in this situation, I think he gets it wrong. Well, I would say, one, I'm, I'm one of the most bipartisan members of Congress. The last two Congresses, I've been in the top 10 percent of most bipartisan. I want to work across the aisle. Look, the Democrats aren't right on everything. And I'm willing to sit down and have conversations about how we can move out of this age of stupidity and into an age of reconciliation and reform. How do we fix all of these broken systems? Some of those answers will come from Republicans, it's not not the extremists that we're dealing with every single day. We've got to kill and confront that movement. Um, but, the, you know, working with normal mainstream Republicans, I think that's going to be really, really important because we have to reform uh, these systems. And I will tell them, too, like, we got to get the government out of our business. Okay, so again, we'll watch uh, Fox News host here in a second. But just to quickly address that, you heard what he said. We need to kill and confront that movement. That's not, that doesn't have a place, I don't think, in our articulation of uh, the threat that is posed. Because what we're talking about is a movement that we rightly identify as being dangerous and also posing a threat to our democratic process, which is one of the reasons it is so dangerous. But Another thing that makes it really dangerous is the fact that they promote violence a lot and people get on the air and uh, right wing, you know, leaders say things that aren't directly calling their audience to violence, but we definitely still condemn them for it because it's close enough. So if Tim Ryan, senatorial candidate, is going to go out there and say we need to kill and confront that movement, what he's trying to say, I know because I keep up with him and his stances, uh, is definitely we need to like <clears throat> beat that movement politically, right? Make it an irrelevant movement. That's what he means by kill the movement. But using the word kill in our current political environment is just not okay at all. So here's what's going on on Fox News. Of course, uh, they're going to be saying this stuff anyways, but uh, don't allow them to have any even tiny little kernel of truth in the threat that they're pretending is posed to Republicans. The Democratic Party, the media, and obviously the FBI 
have designated the Republican Party as a terrorist group and believe it's their patriotic duty as Americans to extinguish the threat. Okay, so again, he is a massive liar, Jesse Waters is. Fox News is spreading tons of propaganda, trying to pretend like uh, what we're wanting to do on the left, what Biden's trying to do is politically persecute or in his language, extinguish. And we know that's not true at all. Again, we are trying to protect our democratic institutions. Uh, we're trying to create a more happy, healthy, peaceful country, right? Uh, but whenever you have on tape someone like Tim Ryan saying we need to kill and confront that movement, that's giving some level of legitimacy to the pretending of threat that they're making. Uh, that's kind of a weird sentence that I just said, but uh, you get the point. And so again, while I know Tim Ryan does not have those feelings, he's not trying to encourage his followers to kill anybody, that's the type of language that we would heavily condemn on the right. So uh, I'm going to continue in a second here, but I first just have to say I am doing my absolute best and I've decided I'm going to try to stay offline as far as not reading people's uh, thoughts about me as much as possible because I notice when I do that, a lot of my segments will just be screaming at the hypothetical arguments I know people are going to make later after watching this video, if that makes sense. So right now I want to scream like this isn't me uh, trying to equivocate between the rhetoric on the right and left. This isn't me trying to say that what the right is doing right now isn't super dangerous or we shouldn't defeat that movement. No, it's not. But I'm going to stay calm. Because lately, I don't know what it is, you guys, but there are some very, very passionately angry people uh, expressing those views to me very loudly. But um, I'm, I'm, in all uh, seriousness, actually not trying to equivocate. But what I am saying is for us to be the absolute most uh, effective, impactful, and pure as a movement, fighting their movement, we can't allow any of that type of language. Um, and so I'll say a thousand times, I don't think he was trying to encourage violence, but it doesn't matter. There's enough people out there um, where you could accidentally nudge someone in that direction and you don't want to do that. And you want to be clear about the intentions of the progressive movement, of the pro-democracy movement. And it's not to settle this in a violent manner. It is to settle it, uh, settle it politically. And that's what we're hoping to do. So let me know your thoughts in the comments. Unless you're stupid, then don't, please. <laughs> Senator Lindsey Graham has proposed a piece of legislation that would ban abortion after 15 weeks nationwide. And the reason why I think just uh, separate from that being really big by itself, it also is being, you know, run parallel to all of these statements that Republicans have made in the past and Lindsey Graham himself have made, pretending like their ultimate goal is just to make abortion a state's rights issue. And that's the reason why the Supreme Court got it wrong, because really, this is about states rights. We should leave it up to the individual states to de decide about this. Um, and we'll get to a clip of Lindsey Graham clearly saying that and then uh, changing his view recently and proposing this legislation. But first, let's just read a little bit about this. Lindsey Graham's anti-abortion legislation once unified the Republican Party. The 15-week abortion ban he pitched Tuesday had the exact opposite effect. The South Carolina senator chose a uniquely tense moment to unveil, unveil his party's first bill limiting abortion access since this summer's watershed reversal of Roe v. Wade. It was designed as a nod to anti-abortion activists who have never felt more emboldened. Yet uh, Graham's bill also attempted to skate past a Republican party that's divided over whether Congress should even be legislating on abortion after the Supreme Court struck down a nationwide right to terminate 
pregnancies. Uh, so quickly to get to the response by the White House from this. Today, Senator Graham introduced a national ban on abortion, which would strip away women's rights in all 50 states. This bill is widely out of step with what America's, uh, Americans believe. While President Biden and Vice President Harris are focused on the historic passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, and then she goes on to say, uh, this is the press secretary that Republicans are focusing on stripping rights away. President Biden and Congre- congressional Democrats are committed to restoring the protections of Roe v. Wade in the face of continued radical steps by elected Republicans to put personal health care decisions in the hands of politicians instead of women and their doctors threatening women's health and lives so again here's that clip i spoke about uh where one of many times that lindsey graham said listen i just want to leave it up to the states the point i'm trying to make is i've been consistent i think states should decide the issue of marriage and states should decide the issue of abortion the point okay so obviously that's no longer uh what he is standing for and he is asked about that exact uh, hypocrisy whenever he unveiled this by a reporter, as you'll see here. Um, you stated that the repeal of Roe v. Wade would mean that every state will decide if abortion is legal and on what terms. And you said that that was the most constitutionally sound way mm-hmm. of dealing with the issue. And here you are introducing a nationwide Yeah, I know it's kind of quiet, but he's pretty much laying out. You used to say, blah, 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 blah. I'm wondering how you square those two pretty easy after they introduced the bill to define who they are i thought it'd be nice to introduce a bill to find who we are okay and that's fair enough and who you're defining yourself as as the big government party apparently right you want the big brother government to come in and tell women across the country not just leave it with the states but tell women across the country uh what they're supposed to do right um and so to get into why this matters i think a lot of people who are maybe in between pro-life and pro-choice, they're kind of, ah, I don't like the Republican Party's actions, but then 15 weeks, maybe that sounds okay. You have to understand that most abortions happen extremely early in the pregnancy. But then, as we're seeing now, when you do do a hard ban that is uh, without proper you know, exceptions, but even you just all of these bans we've seen across the country set up a situation where as the uh, article laid out, or I should say, as um, the statement from the White House laid out, it is threatening the lives of women to a very significant degree. So we've had countless stories come out since certain states enacted uh, abortion bans, even if it's after a week mark that you think is appropriate, still what ends up happening, uh, especially when it's not that late of a ban. You, you have a situation where women who are trying to stay pregnant get um, either it's a miscarriage or something's wrong with the fetus and then they're notified by their doctor. Here's one example. Um, they're notified by their doctor that the second it comes out, it's going to die. It's going to suffocate to death. So in a normal situation, we could do an abortion and it would make it less painless for the uh, fetus as well as more safe for the mother. They're not able to have that happen. Another example, the fetus actually uh, dies, but then because of the strict laws in the state that the woman is in, they're not able to get it out for weeks and weeks, which threatens their life, which sets up a situation where they're very likely, um, not very likely, that they have a much higher chance now of becoming infertile um, or a chance of dying themselves. All of these dangerous things happen whenever you tell the biological being that's producing another being so you tell the woman that's producing another being 
what she can and can't do. Just dangerous situations get set up. And that's what we're seeing now. And so Lindsey Graham trying to do this nationwide is not only dangerous for what it is, but then as we've talked about plenty in this segment, it is heavily against what the Republican Party has pretended for decades is their position. And every Republican used to say, ah, we just need to lead up the states. Come on, this is a states' rights issue. Well, now they got what they wanted. It is a states' rights issue as of now because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And that wasn't enough. And we should expect that. But it's another reminder that we can't take what they say at face value on most of these things. And uh, we can't sometimes be okay with a compromise because most likely they're not going to stick to that compromise. Um, now, of course, that's not all of the time. Sometimes it's great to compromise. But on issues like this, when we have a strong, important a significant position on this issue, taking them at face value that, listen, we're not going to try to do any more than just this is not an effective strategy uh, because we see what we're seeing now, which is that that's not at all their ultimate goal. And Lindsey Graham does want, if Republicans got back in power, to ban abortion nationwide, which would be significantly tragic because the only saving grace, if you want to say that, or um, the only way that women are able to get the help they need in these states that have super strict laws is to go to other states that are blue states. So if it was banned, which I don't think it would be because even the Republican Party isn't completely on board with this, but let's say it was, they wouldn't have anywhere to go. And you would literally cost thousands of women's lives because of it. So important stuff. Uh, and I don't think it has a chance of going anywhere, luckily, but a massive, horrible virtue signal from Lindsey Graham. Tucker Carlson has taken a bizarre stance against Ukraine in the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So I have a moment to show you here of someone he brings on his show to talk about how, oh, it's looking so horrible for Ukraine and uh, the war could be over like this. And this was uh, right before the news came out that Ukraine was making huge advances, going on the offensive. And uh, we're about to look at analysis after we look at the clip of it seeming like this could be a turning point in the war, which is good news um, for sure. But I honestly, I'll show you the moment and then we'll discuss. But I don't know why this is the way Tucker Carlson chose to go, uh, but we'll speculate afterwards. Defense contractors have just invited the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, or New George Washington, to speak at a defense industry conference in Austin, Texas later this month, as reports The Hill. Unbelievable. Where's all this money going? Where are the weapons going? Why are we doing this? Doug McGregor has been a frequent guest on this show, pushing back against the lies. That's one of the reasons the Ukrainian government has now targeted him by name. We're happy to have him, honored to have him on tonight. Doug McGregor, thank you so much. Um, so Zelensky is now going to be hosted by the defense contractors. I wonder, could they make it more obvious? Oh, probably not. <clears throat> of course, when he meets with them, this entire war may be over. Uh, right now, things are going very, very badly, which is why the Ukrainians are so desperate. The, the, the list, the so-called kill list, which has me and many other Americans on it, is simply a reflection of that uh, desperation. Okay, so they're extremely uh, desperate. The war might be over by the time that this event that they were talking about happens. Well, again, this was right you know, before or in the midst of the news coming out that the exact opposite was happening. Reading from ABC News, Ukraine's stunning counteroffensive in its northeast likely marks a turning point in the war and has profound consequences for Russia's 
position going forward, according to military analysts. The counteroffensive has seen Russia's front line in the Kharkiv region collapse in less than a week, forcing thousands of its troops to retreat as Ukrainian troops have recaptured hundreds of square miles of territory officials say. The defeat not only removes Russia's ability to threaten Ukraine's second largest city, Kharkiv, but also likely ends Russia's ability to mount any major offensives in Ukraine again, the analysts said. It also will have a major knock-on effect on Russia's capacity to hold its positions on the other fronts around the country. It means in the long run, the war now favors Ukraine, they said. Again, I'm not a military analyst. I don't know necessarily if that's true, if this is a turning point, um, but it seems to be a common consensus that at least this is a big moment in the war, in the positive direction of Ukraine. So that's good news on our front. What I always say is this is going to be good news wrapped in bad news. The bad news is just wrapping this all up all the time is that there's a war going on and civilians are being killed and all these troops are being killed and it's completely unnecessary because uh, Putin didn't have to do this. But within the context of that, it is good news to see that the Ukrainian military is doing uh, well in comparison to the Russian military. And it seems like it's able to start taking back land and um, hopefully in this war at some point. Now, again, as I said at the beginning of this, I don't know why Tucker Carlson's bringing on people to say that it's not going well when it actually is going well for Ukraine, again, within the context of it being a whole thing that's bad. Uh, and then why even earlier he's been mocking kind of the support of Ukraine that people are giving. I'm, I think it's totally appropriate to say, how much should we give to this effort? How much should the United States government give? I think you having concerns or whatever would be totally fair. I personally am supportive of what has been given so far. But... Uh, Tucker Carlson just has this massive stance of, I don't really care what's going on there. Who, who cares at all? Um, at different points, he said, why am I supposed to take the side of Ukraine in this? And the simple answer to that, that we've talked about plenty, is you have a sovereign country who wasn't doing anything to Russia, and Russia decided to invade them and slaughter a bunch of the civilians and destroy a bunch of their country. So yeah, it's a pretty easy decision there as far as who you should support um, and who you should be rooting for if you want to use that word and so maybe it's because tucker carlson has kind of a fondness for someone like putin who's kind of a right-wing authoritarian leader and that's what tucker carlson sees as a good strong aggressive leader i really don't know uh it baffles my mind every single time i see right-wingers and some left-wingers supportive of russia and what they're doing right now but there it is tucker and his guest getting it horribly wrong about the moment that we are currently in in regard to this war. The walls really do seem to be closing in on Donald Trump and those around him. We got news that over 40 subpoenas were sent out uh, to people in his orbit, and then also two phones of close Trump allies were seized. So we'll read a little bit about this from the New York Times. Justice Department officials have seized the phones of two top advisors to former President Donald Trump and blanketed his aides with about 40 subpoenas in a substantial escalation of the investigation into his efforts to subvert the 2020 election. People familiar with the inquiry said on Monday. The seizure of the phones, coupled with a widening effort to obtain information from those around Mr. Trump after the 2020 election, represents some of the most aggressive steps the department has taken thus far in its criminal investigation into the actions that led to the January 6, 2021 assault on the Capitol by a pro-Trump mob. So this is big stuff. 
two people who are close Trump allies, one of the people who helped him on like election day stuff, and then uh, one of his in-house counsels got their phones seized, and then 40 subpoenas sent out to people related to Trump. This is huge news. This is, as the article noted, a massive escalation of the investigation, at least in the publicly available type actions. And it shows that they're taking it seriously. And I do think if they're going to these efforts, we may see something real uh, in this investigation to Trump, because there's all these different things going on. And one of the things I talked about is how this investigation about the 2020 uh, election overturning actions and what led to the January 6th mob is kind of being overshadowed right now by the investigation into him over the classified documents because of the FBI raid into him, uh, FBI raid of him, I should say. And so I've always said, even though the classified documents should be handled, absolutely, the most important thing that I see uh, as being what Trump should be held accountable for, everything in an ideal world, but if I had to choose one, it would be his efforts to overturn the 2020 election because that has the most lasting damage. It is the most... Uh, profound in the ramifications that you'll see later on in our democratic processes. When you set up a situation where a president gets away with trying to overturn a free and fair election, trying to stay in power, that's terrible for our democracy. So the fact that it looks like maybe he's not going to get away with this is really good. It's really important. Um, and we're just seeing a massive wave of people who deny our elections trying to get in power. And so the more you show that they're, that you're held accountable in our country for trying to do something like Trump did, uh, the better. And this is shown so perfectly in this uh, analysis that, that was done, revealing that we are going to have so many people likely in power after the next midterms who are open election deniers. Reading from Mediate, Nate Silver's election forecasting website, 538, recently published an in-depth breakdown of the candidates running in the 2022 midterms who deny the result of the 2020 presidential election or who have called into question the legitimacy of the vote. The outcome of all that reporting was a detailed look at exactly who is poised to enter the next Congress. The report found that over 60% of Americans will have an election de denier on the ballot this fall, and that more than half of House GOP members predicted to win seats in November have denied the election. So 60%, more likely than not, you're going to have someone on the ballot you're voting uh, on who has denied the election. So that's why it's so important that we all go out to vote. But then also, likely based on polling, 50% of the GOP members in the House will be election deniers. That is so scary. And so you see now how part of the reason that Trump wasn't able to do what he wanted to do in 2020 in trying to stay in power was because, as we discussed before, he didn't have enough people in the government who would support him in that effort, right? But the more years that pass by that this is an acceptable behavior, and the more people that get in power who support this type of behavior, the less likely we are to not have this happen successfully next time. And that is very, very scary. And it needs to be focused on. And that's why people need to vote. And the threat to democracy being an issue people care about is so important. Um, but wild stuff. Good that Trump's being held accountable. Scary that so many people are likely going to be our representatives who don't believe in the democracy that they want to work within. Thank you all so much for watching and listening. I will see you tomorrow.